What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. chance earlier on to ask the youngster Sam Houston what his thoughts were on the WWF. He has thoughts. Hi y'all, let me tell you something. My name is Sam Houston. A lot of y'all don't know me too well. Let me tell you something. I came out here to the WWF to do the best thing I can and it's right here on Wrestling Challenges. My first match and I'll tell you what, I'm going to be out there and I'm going to be hotter than a $2 pistol. I can just see this punk on a Friday night down in Houston going to one of those uh, good old boy joints Dancing with the ladies. Look out, Bulldog, perhaps. Oh, yes, he nailed him with it. I believe this one is history. Hooks the leg just for good measure. There's the three-pack. This is an exciting youngster, and he's got a long way to go in his career. Here is your winner, Sam Schuster. How come he doesn't have any hole in his hat? Let's catch up on some news about the WWE. Wrestling brought to you today and powered by ProWrestlingTees.com. Head on over to ProWrestlingTees.com and check out all the amazing t-shirt stores, including the two-man power trip of wrestling, Kevin Thorne, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Tito Santana, Coco Beware, and so many others. Again, it's ProWrestlingTees.com. But I'm sure you already knew that. It's probably the greatest t-shirt store in the history of mankind, especially if you are a wrestling fan. And with all that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, oh boy, strap in for an absolutely intense episode with our guest, Sam Houston. And of course, you might remember Sam Houston from many territories that he did perform in over the years. But most specifically, I think a lot of people remember him from his time in the WWF. 
He uh, kind of was a WWF journeyman there in the late 80s. He was on pretty much all the big house show cards. He was an opening match guy. But his family tree is pretty deep in professional wrestling, and his story has gotten absolutely intense over the last couple of years. And that is where I talk about this opening part where it's an absolutely raw, emotional roller coaster ride with Sam Houston and John. As I welcome you in here, we were sitting there listening to the stories of Sam Houston. And I know you and I, and the way we communicate during these interviews, were absolutely floored by how forthcoming and how open he was with everything. It was quite surprising, but it was also uh, very, uh, I guess you could say, heartwarming that he was that comfortable with us to share some of these stories with us. But it was revealing. It was intense, like I said, and it definitely is uh, is one for the books, to say the least. And, John, why don't you talk about, as we uh, as we get rolling here, just some of the points he hits on. Because it's really, if you know the story of Sam Houston, over the last couple of years, it's been a roller coaster ride. But, uh, obviously, he's doing well, and uh, thankfully, he's really coming out on the other side, and he's becoming uh, one of the more positive stories in professional wrestling. Yes, Chad, what you're right about and what you're so true about is Sam Houston was one hell of an interview subject definitely a lot of fun unpredictable in a way but that's what makes some of these interviews so much fun I love getting a chance to finally get Sam on the show for a great interview he was so cool to us he was so open he was so honest you got raw emotion out of him you got true stories I just thought that was so cool and so enlightening of an interview and hell, it was a lot of fun too. We had a lot of laughs, a lot of good time. You know, he's definitely uh, he's he's crazy. We're a little crazy. Uh, he definitely gets some crazy answers out of him. But you you gotta love it. I mean, you love the openness. You you know what you're gonna get with the Sam Houston, and you got it. And I really really appreciated how genuine he really was with us. And you know, to kind of make your point again, Chad, he was so open with us, and I just love the honesty. Think about it. We went from talking about prison. His time spent in prison. We talked about him trying to commit suicide at one point. We talked about his mom's death. We talked about all his alcohol issues and his alcohol problems. We talked about sobriety. We talked about getting those DUIs. And then obviously DUIs led to him being in prison, of course. So we talked about all those personal issues and much, much more. And I just absolutely loved, you know, the, quite frankly, the honestness that we got out of him. Sometimes with when we interview some of the guys, you just don't really know whether they're being truthful or not. Are you getting the real answer? Are you getting a worked answer or what? But with Sam Houston, you know 100% you're getting a true answer and you're really, you know, getting shot between the eyes when he was telling us his story of his life and what an amazing life and what an amazing story he had and he even talked about his divorce from baby doll um, and talked about his, his daughter so we get a lot of true emotion out of him we get a lot of really good stories and really really hit home we get a lot of personal stuff as well so this is a really really fun interview and i i, I just love that after we were done with the chat i know you know you said and i said it like that was a hell of an interview he was a really really nice fun guy and i just love you know, kind of getting this out of out of an old legend, an old uh, not only global, not only uh, the Mid Atlantic, not only JCP, but an old WWF legend as well. So very, very enlightening, truthful, emotional interview from one Sam Houston. Yeah, and you make a great point there because I really feel like Sam is the kind of guy who has kind of gotten forgotten. Uh, by fans as we kind of move forward. And here we are, you know, a good 30 years past, let's say, the first Royal Rumble 
where we talk about that in the interview that Sam Houston was in the first Royal Rumble. He was in the big WrestleMania four battle Royal. And this is a guy who was involved in some pretty big shows back in his time as a performer. But, you know, it's what I mentioned at the top that I know if you're in the know or you're a guy who's a smart mark, so to speak, or you're, you're somebody who kind of embraces the history of the business and you know that Sam Houston's half brother is Jake the Snake Roberts that his father is the legendary wrestler Grizzly Smith who served for many many years as a backstage uh, road agent for WCW and also the WWF and that his sister is former WWF women's champion Rockin Robin and that's kind of a family tree that I feel like gets uh, also forgotten whether we talk about Sam being forgotten how about the fact that that entire family we think about Jake and Grizzly Smith but I think Rockin Robin and also so Sam get kind of lost in the shuffle, and that's kind of unfortunate because, you know, they put together one hell of a, a little run there as a uh, as a group. They were definitely uh, hate to steal Rockin' Robin's uh, little phrase here, but they were rocking at one point. That they were all uh, on the main stage with the WWF, and at that point in the '80s, that was the place to be. And I think that's uh, unfortunately gotten a little lost in the shuffle, but. They were all in the mix. The family definitely, uh, they're, they've cemented their names in the business. And, you know, now it's time to refresh your memory a little bit and get you uh, to know more about Sam Houston and a little bit more deeper into the stories of his relationship with Jake, his relationship with his dad. And it's, uh, it's really cool. And again, it's going to be the continued theme here. It's refreshing, it's honest, and it's a really cool look into the life of Sam Houston. You know what, Chad? That is a great point. You make a great point there. A lot of people forget to mention his family lineage and the legendary family that he comes from. That's a, it's really well said, I think. I mean, you think about him, you think about the family lineage. I mean, we do, but I feel like a lot of people kind of forgotten that a little bit. Great worker back in his day, of course. True professional. One of those guys, you know, you put him in the ring and you know he's going to have a good match. And we talk about... If you're early on the card or if you're opening match, how important that guy really can be. And I remember talking to Tito Santana way back when about it as well. And he was saying when he was the opening match for the first WrestleMania, they kind of said, you know, you're setting the pace. You got to get the crowd up. You got to get, you know, the viewers ready for this. I mean, it's so important to get that first match underway, getting the crowd into it, getting the crowd hyped, getting the viewers at home pumped. So he makes some great points. And when he was in the WWF, obviously... He was in a lot of the opening matches, and, and that just goes to show you his you know his work ethic, the way he is as a worker, that he really, really put a lot of thought in. An opening match was so important to him, and he really, really wanted to set the tone for the evening. And he, you know, we talked a little bit about how Vince knew that role was very important, and he put Sam in there quite often, and he usually put on some great matches. Didn't always win, obviously. You know, a lot of the matches was uh, set up as somewhat of an enhancement guy for a little bit, but he definitely, definitely put on some great matches and always put in its heart and soul to those matches. But back to the the family lineage and back to the family legacy. Think about it: the Roberts, obviously Jake the Snake Roberts, Grizzly Smith, Sam Houston, Rock and Robin. I mean, that's a great family tree there. Jake, obviously, Hall of Famer, legend. Grizzly Smith, the legend. Rockin' Robin is a legend within her own right. And obviously, Sam Houston, her, who was her uh, interviewee for the day, was, was a legend in his own right. So it's great that they have that family lineage. They have that family legacy. But even better than that, they were all in the WWF for a few years together. And that is pretty uh, pretty impressive accomplishment. We talk about that in detail, in depth in the interview, that his dad, his sister, his brother, and him were all in WWF for a couple of years all at the same time, and how 
pretty much is is amazing and it's really cool to you know look back at that and say wow damn that's pretty damn cool you know that we were all able to to spend that time together and have our family spend that time together in the WWF and not a lot of families can say that you know in the wrestling business that we were all good enough at one point that we were all working for the WWF and especially to say you're all working for the WWF at the same time yeah, not many people can say that their whole entire family who was in the wrestling business at the time was in the same organization. Obviously, Baby Doll, while they were married, wasn't in the WWF with them. But when you think about his brother, when you think about his sister, you think about his dad, all being on the same uh, team, so to speak, that is, uh, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty sweet when you look back. But Sam Houston definitely filled a great spot for the WWF, a great spot in the NWA. And anywhere he went, he was always a, uh, a great utility player. And he definitely fit his role to a T. And we want to thank Sam for being so open, so honest, and just so forthcoming with all the information that he shared with us. And please go out of your way to support Sam Houston. Take a listen to his plugs at the end. And really, please check him out if he's coming to your town or if he's got anything going on. Check out his Facebook page. Check out his Twitter page. And let's get Sam Houston uh, the following he deserves because he's definitely a guy who is uh, he's still in, he's still in it he's still going and uh, he could use your support. So with that being said, John, why don't you take it the rest of the way as you hear the music start to creep in? Hit him with a little bit of two man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Sam Houston. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for past legendary episodes featuring the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Bruno Sammartino, Jesse the Body Ventura, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, WWE Lead Attorney, Jerry McDivitt, the phenomenal AJ Styles, the Demon Kane, Dean Ambrose, and so many more. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Also, while you're surfing the web, go to wrestlinginc.com. Yes, that is wrestlinginc.com, your number one news source for professional wrestling and sports entertainment. Also, please check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com for your t-shirt needs. Featuring stores like our own store at the two-man power trip of wrestling, Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Paul Orndorff, Kevin Thorne, and Buff Bagwell. Also, for you Android users out there, check us out on Player FM. And now, without any further ado, a man from a legendary wrestling family. He is a former GWF television champion. He is a former NWA Central States world champion. He's also a former NWA Mid-Atlantic world champion. He is the legendary Sam Houston. Please enjoy.
is a professional wrestling legend. He's a guy who's been in every territory that we could possibly name. He's been in the NWA. He's been in Jim Crockett Promotions. He's been in the Global Wrestling Federation. He's been in WCW, and I remember him very, very fondly from his days in the WWF. He is the one and only Sam Houston. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man, thanks for having me, guys. I mean, I really appreciate it, you know. And thanks for the intro. That was cool, too. <laughs> Oh, my pleasure. But yeah, well, I've, I've been all yeah, I've been all over the place, you know. Oh yeah, and I can't wait to dig into it. I've always been a big fan of uh, Sam Houston. Always as a kid, when you <laughs> you know you get out there, you'd be doing the Texas two step down in the ring. It would be getting you pumped up, and we're going to get to all that. But I think what's really right. cool is to see your reemergence back into wrestling, man. It's really cool to see you back out and about. Well, dude, okay, uh, you know, I, I just lost everything in the floods and stuff. You know, and uh, I ain't got I ain't got a whole lot left, but I did have my wrestling boots. And I had some tools, you know, some hand tools and stuff. Well, I didn't have a place to live and no place to go, so you know, uh, Jamie Morris, a disabled veteran, that I helped out, uh, him and Tony Nicholson, you know, set up a Go GoFundMe account to try to give me a little bit of help. And that, I mean, I thank the the people that helped out and called in, and I pr- really appreciated the two hundred and eighty something dollars, but. You know, uh, I've had to do it on my own. And uh, so I had to put the boots back on my brother. And you know what? When I put them on, you know, that heart that was there 30 years ago or whatever, that heart's still there. You know, that that spirit's still there. You know, uh, when I was in prison, and, and, and when, when you said a while ago we're going to take the gloves off, I'm going to come clean with all of it, you know. If you want to ask me about the prison years, you go right ahead. Uh, if you want to talk, talk to me about alcohol, well, let's talk about alcohol. But anyway, I've overcome a lot of battles in my life. And I ain't going to let no storm just knock me out of contention either. And I'm doing what i got to do to, 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 you know, to get by, to make a living, you know. Um, so, you know, wh- whatever needs to be done is going to get done. So that's been, you know, getting in these smaller uh, smaller promotions and getting my name back out there. And what's really incredible is that uh, um, off these smaller promotions, I mean, uh, the gra- I, I guess grassroots stuff, you know, um, or what, what have you, but people getting behind what I'm doing and they're getting behind what I'm saying. And it's really fun for me because I'm 53, year old, 53 years old and to go out there and to blow everybody away on a card, I can still do it. You know, <laughs> and I'm not. I, yeah, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything like that. Just you know, um, just saying what's going on. You know, I'm, uh, in the last two years, I've had the best match on the cards at the CACs and everywhere else. So you know, I'm doing what I can to make it. Uh, it's so awesome, and it's so great to see you still out there. It's so great to hear you still got, you know, the passion for it. And John and I just saw you not too long ago in New Jersey at the Legends of the Ring convention. And to see the response uh-huh. that you still get from the fans and to see that, you know, the meet and greets are out there. They're, you know, it's alive and well. The spirit of wrestling is alive and well. How do you think the fans have taken to you, you know, bringing out the old memorabilia out and, yeah, they, I mean, man, all, all that's nice, and, and to get, to get, you know, and to get the respect and everything from the folks and stuff, you know. But I want them to meet the me. I, you know, they, they need to. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be ever be a misrepresentation of a cardboard cardboard cutout 
that you know i want to i want them to meet the real me you know the person i am i want them to know the sober me i had for years and years and years all everybody knew was the partier you know but i got almost eight years sober i mean i i, I came to I was in prison and 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 I had a uh, well. Let me let me just go ahead and tell you the story. I got pulled over, got a DWI, I got uh, arrested. I, I bought in my. Oh, I didn't get a DWI. They arrested me for improper lane change. So I, when I pulled out, I got out of there and I I went to I I checked myself into center court, two year long rehab. I was there three months to the day, and I had to go to court to pay the ticket for the improper lane change. The DA came at me and he said, well, we're going to throw the improper lane change out and hit you with fourth offense DWI. And I said, I, I haven't had a third DWI. And they said, they let me know if they had to redo the paperwork or anything else. They were going to hit me with the Habitual Offender Act and put me down for the rest of my life. And uh, Or if I signed that paper, they'd give me 10 years and I'd serve half of it. And uh, if I tried to fight it in court, they were going to give me 30 flat, is what I was told um, by the district attorney. So they remanded me on some murderers row in Baton Rouge, East Baton Rouge Parish, and I'm I'm in there with 39 of the worst of the worst of the worst possible human beings you could ever be incarcerated. I'm not trying to say I was better than any one of them, you know, because they're a person too. But the evil things and stuff, yeah, I, you know. <clears throat> well, I was in there two nights, or that was Thursday night and Friday night, and dealing with it all day Saturday. Well. I started thinking about my options, you know, what the DA had told me. Um, so I took my, my bed sheet and I uh, slid it up and braided braided it together and made two nooses. I ran the sheets through the bars to tie them off. I put both nooses around my neck and I said, God, only you can stop this. And I jumped. Both nooses broke. They didn't tear. They didn't rip. They broke. I dropped to my knees and I promised God I wasn't going to try to hurt myself no more. Four days later, my mom died and uh, her liver shut down. A lot of it was due to alcohol. And that's the, that's the day I made the decision not to drink again. So I drew the line in the dirt and I stepped across that line. And every day that I've got right now, I wouldn't have had if it hadn't been for, for my God. And the life I'm living, I wouldn't have had. You know, my mom gave her her life. The way I look, kind of look at it, she gave her life to help me quit. You know, I, I hate to say I was that weak of a person, but it's the truth. I couldn't beat that bottle on my own, but with my mom's help, I am. How's that? that, that no, that's incredible. I just want you to know the real me, man. I, I just want no, you to know the real great. me. No BS, no nothing like that, you know? That's great. I'm getting out in the ring. I'm, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting out in the ring and I do what I do best. Well, I mean, I do one of the things I do best. I mean, when I was in uh, prison, when I got into work with the work release program, I finally made it to a scaffold company and I was working offshore, hanging scaffolds off the side and underneath and all kind of places. So I've got some hairy experiences from that. But I would be the guy out there standing on a two-inch bar building a safe structure for other people to go work. So basically, on a, on a platform, a scaffold builder or supervisor, we're called bait, you know, because it's kind of like the, your lanyard. I mean, your your lanyard or your, uh, uh, you know, or your yo-yo. That's that's the fishing line, 
you know, you're wearing, you're wearing the bobber, <laughs> and you're the bait, you know, you're kicking your legs and all them sharks coming around, you know. Yeah, I don't want to fall. Listen, it's a it's an absolutely incredible story, and thank you very much for sharing that with us. That is absolutely uh, it's yeah. inspiring to see what you've you know what you've been able to accomplish after that. And you know, once that all that that happens, and unfortunately, you know, the passing of your mother, of course, to be involved in that, and that being another, you know, like you said, something that may have been the uh, you know the 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 tool, or may have been something more spiritual that helped you well, uh, kind of yeah, because I couldn't do it. Yeah, I couldn't do it on my own. I tried for 10 years. Um, I, I, in 99, I figured out, well, hey, you know what? I got a damn problem. So let's go down to Louisiana. Let's get out of Texas, get down to Louisiana, oh, where they got a drive-through daiquiri shack on every corner. I was able to quit all the drugs, all the pills, all of that stuff. I was able to put it all down, walk away from it, you know? And then, but the alcohol was the thing that had me. That was what my addiction was. Everything else was the, the recreational stuff or what have you. I mean, but the, the the real addiction for me, the demon in my life was the alcohol. I couldn't get away from it, you know? Um, but I, I, I've, I've done a lot of learning. I took every opportunity to learn as much as I could while I was in prison, you know? Uh, I did everything I could. I, I found myself in prison, kind of. Let me tell you a little story. <clears throat> When I, when I was working for Crockett, you know, uh, the Road Warriors, uh, I mean, they, they were awesome, dude. Uh, anyway, I, I was walking back to the ring, I mean, back from the ring in Philadelphia one night. And Paul Ellering come off the stage, and he stopped me. He said, Sam, he said, you know, I, I just love watching your matches. And I was like, okay, well, thank you, Paul. Why? And he, says, he said, because you always go that one step further in the ring. You know, and I did. Well, in 91, when, when my life fell apart, uh, Nick and I split up, and, and then uh, and I got hurt. I uh, got uh, ruptured and bulging disc in my neck, and I was partially paralyzed on the left side of my body for a while. <clears throat> well, after uh, this doctor out in L.A. worked on me and got me back up walking again, and then the Northridge earthquake hit. And I re-injured myself knocking people's doors down to get them out of the condos we were living in. So I got them out, um, but I hurt myself again. I was down for about another six months. And then I came to Atlanta to visit my dad and uh, once I was walking again. And I started training uh, training some guys down at the power plant. And, uh, excuse me. And after about three months, man, they started telling me, you need to get back in there. And I was like, well, my career is over. You know, I've been hurt. I said, no, you need to be back in there. Well, I got back in there, and I tagged some and everything else, you know, and did some stuff. But, you know, I'd, I'd grown, uh, I guess, complacent, you know, resting on my laurels, resting on, resting on. I, I wasn't going, I was going out there and giving it enough, you know, enough to blow them away or, or everything else. But I wasn't really reaching, you know, I wasn't really doing everything I could. And I didn't find that in myself till I was at uh, Jay Levy Dabadee Prison, and I was working. Uh, I was working for uh, uh, the road crew. See, when when I went to prison, because I'm a wrestler, they put me in maximum maximum security disciplinary camp. I was with the worst of the worst. So I got my big fight in uh, Tinsaw in Waterproof, Louisiana, against some guys, and then uh, that warden changed my life. Uh, he gave me a chance. He sent me to 
uh, a class A trustee camp. He said, you shouldn't even be here. You've never been a problem. He said, the, the only reason you're here is because you were a wrestler. You're, I was a security threat. Well, he let me go to Jay Levy Dabity, a class A, uh, class A trustee camp in Pineville, Louisiana. And I worked on the road crew for seven months. And I worked hard. I'm talking real hard. I pushed myself. And I found that desire to go one step further again, you know, at Jay Levy Dabity. So, you know, it, it all works out. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's great. I mean, and it seems like just from the few minutes we're spending talking about the real part of your life, not just the wrestling part, that you're very, very big on well, wrestling. Well, wrestling is real. Yeah, wrestling, the wrestling part, that's very real to me, too. You know, when I go, when I put my boots on, when I go get in the ring, I go get in the ring to do the best job that I can. I believe in myself, and I believe in everything I'm doing out there. You know, it's just, I mean, that that's my life. I, I, I was born into this business. My dad was Grizzly Smith. I was two weeks old when I went on the road. You know, <laughs> I, I traveled most of the time with my dad, even, and then after my mom and dad split up, uh, I, I was on the road almost every night with my dad. You know, and then uh, then I was running the ring crew, I, I running the, I mean, ring truck and everything else. And had my tonsils taken out when I was 17. I flatlined and uh, uh, didn't eat food from April the 2nd to August 14th. I know this is another, there's so many facets to Sam Houston now. But I had, you know, I died on the operating table when I was 17. So that's why I ran away from home. My dad wouldn't let me break in the business. He didn't want me to break in the business when I got my weight back up and uh, so I had to leave home and I went and Dusty started me out in Florida under the name Sam Houston. It's an, incre- it's an incredible start and an incredible lineage in the business. And, you know, if you can just talk about your dad, Grizzly Smith, obviously a name very, very familiar to wrestling fans. And when, you know, you're, you're on the road as a baby and there you go, you're already indoctrinated into the business. But what was it about wrestling that you really fell in love with, you know, traveling the roads with your dad? Well, I mean, it's the only thing I've ever known, really, you know. Um, I mean, I I, I did a little bit here and there kind of stuff, but never anything like this business. Uh, I mean, when I was, I mean, I had no, first of all, when I, after I was 13 years old, I had no real adult supervision, you know. (laughs) My adult supervision was the wrestlers. They're a bunch of kids, you know, you know, and the lifestyle. Come on, you know. It, I mean, it was amazing, and I'm glad I lived through it, you know. But, like, then after I started wrestling and stuff, then I was I was um, going to Florida. Uh, I learned a whole lot because I was able to work every night. You know, and that's what the independent guys, you know, I went up to a guy the other night and I said, hey, man, how, you know, how long have you been working? He said, five years. I said, cool, man. You've got, like, you know, he said, I've, I've had, like, 62 matches. And I'm thinking 62 matches in five years. We did that in in a month and a half because we had to work, you know, twice on Saturdays, twice on Sundays. And God forbid somebody don't make it to a town and you're doing double duty on that, too, and TV tapings, (laughs) you know. But, you know, that's the way, that's the nature of the beast right now as far as the business is concerned. Um, These independent promoters need to start trying to, I, I guess, put something together on a bigger scale than just one night. Definitely, and you talked about being in Florida down there, you know, back in the early days when you were starting out. You were kind of uh, like Dusty Rhodes' protege, if you will. So what was it like being mentored under Dusty Rhodes? 
Well, Dusty was great. Me and Dusty had been friends since I was a little kid. See, my dad in 1969 gave Dusty his big break. So the Dusty starting me out or giving me my break was his way of repaying the debt. Even though my dad didn't want me in the business, Dusty knew my heart. You know, and uh, and it was great. I mean, when Dusty would fly into Louisiana, I mean, I'd pick him up at the airport, drive him around, the, you know, you know, the whole nine yards. I did all the guys like that when they flew in. Um, and then after I started wrestling, I started I wrestled down in Florida for three months. Well, then Dusty would come and fly into the Carolinas and work for Crockett. Well, I'd pick him up and drive him around and tell him, you know, tell him what's going on, because Dusty knew that I knew the office. You know, so I could tell him what was going on and, and where the where the problems were, and 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 you know, and, and Dusty got a, a a really good feel. You know, not saying uh, I did anything extraordinary or anything like that, but it was just that I could kind of you know give him a give him a readout how things were going, and that was co- cool because when Dusty that was cool because Crockett he was only booking the underneath talent. He, you know, you'd be lucky if you got two or three days in a week. The way he had it uh, all, all scheduled out with the underneath guys. So when Dusty would come in, I knew I was working every night. Did you learn a lot under Dusty? Oh, yeah. I, you know, a, a lot about strategies and, you know, figuring stuff out, you know, and how to book or how he did it. You know, <laughs> I got a little bit of pencil and a great big eraser, baby. It don't. It takes a lot of hard work, baby, to get your initials wrote down in my book. It don't take nothing to get it raced, though. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been fun traveling the roads with Dusty and, and Magnum TA and kind of being under the. Oh yeah, that, like that. Yeah, yeah, it was great. You know, but that, those weren't the only great ones. Man, look at who I was in the ring with every night: Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, Crusher Cruzstrust, or Barry Darso, or whatever. Gosh, he's had so many names. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, Smash. Uh, but, I mean, look who I was in the ring with, guys. I, I, and I was up and down the roads with Gene Anderson, Johnny Weaver, Sonny Fargo, Jimmy Valiant, Rufus Jones, man. Those are the real heroes riding the roads with Wahoo, you know? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I was blessed. I was blessed. I got all that good tutelage, you know, and I try to use as much as I can in everything I do. And, you and then Hector Hector Guerrero gave me the best advice ever, and, and that's why my ribs, uh, people don't want to, you know. Uh, Hector told me when I got in a little ribbon war with Mike Davis and Mike Rotundo down in Florida when I first started, he told me, he said, don't ever be second best. So... Hmm. I try my best not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned uh, working with uh, Arn and Tully and everything, and you kind of had a, a feud almost right away when you were down there with the Crockett's with the Four Horsemen. What was it like, you know, at that point, you're a young guy, you get thrown kind of right into the fire, and you have a big-time feud with, obviously, Arn, Ole, Flair, and Tully? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I what a ass whipping I took night after night after night. <laughs> they were killing me, guys. <laughs> oh, man, you may look real. <laughs> it was easy for me. <laughs> no, I mean, but, oh, they're the greatest guys in the world, you know. Um, I learned so much from each and every one of them. You know, Arn and I had a, just an intensity. I mean, well, Barry Darso and I had the same intensity just about. Uh, Barnes was a little bit different. Tully was, I was, 
always having to chase after Kelly. That man could run fast. Well, he was a good quarterback. He could run faster backwards than most people could front. You know, well, I mean, just wow is all I can say. And then you got Flair. You got to, but I wasn't blessed with just him. I got to work with the masters like Kurt. I got to, you know, Eddie Gilbert. Um, Everybody, I, I, hell, I wrestled Sting so many times. I can't tell you him and Steiner back in UWF days. You know, people don't remember those. <laughs> you know, definitely. definitely want to talk about uh, those days in Mid South. Obviously, you know, you were teaming with uh, Terry Taylor a lot and uh, working under Bill Watts. So, you know, can, can I touch on that for a second with uh, Sting and Rich? Sure. What was it like working with those guys. Oh, I mean, it was great. Uh, oh, Sin- oh, this one's a funny one. I think we were Columbus, Georgia one night. And it was me and Savannah Jack against uh, Sting and Steiner. And then I had to wrestle Eddie Gilbert that night in Atlanta for the UWF title. But that never happened. Because uh, <laughs> Sting had me in the middle of the ring and he had me in a Boston Crab. This is before he started using, uh, doing the Scorpion. So he had me in a Boston Crab. Boy, and I was grabbing that mat and pulling myself and pulling myself, trying to get to that corner and tag and everything. And, boy, I was inching closer and closer. And here comes Tyler, just jumps in the ring and runs over there and drops the elbow in the back of my head and splatters my nose all over my face. And I look up, and Tom, Tommy Gilbert's the referee, and he goes, Oh, my God. And I said, Which way is it? And he said, Over there. So I grab it, and I go, Click, click, click. And I look at him, and he said, too far. <laughs> had to grab it and click it back. So anyway, oh, this the, the story ain't over yet. So after the match is over, um, I'm back in the dressing room, and they're, they're packing my nose up, and they're trying to figure out if I'm going to be able to work that night or not and stuff. And I'm you know, yeah, I'm going to work. You know, I'm, shoot, I get it. I'm getting in there and going. And they're like, no, no, you can't, you know. So anyway, Jake was coming down to the matches that night. And we're in the Omni, and I walk out of the one dressing room, and Jake's around the corner talking to my dad. And I go around the corner, and I see him, and he goes, hey. He goes, oh, is your nose broke? And I said, yeah, and he punched me right in. So, oh, 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 I wanted to kill him. Oh, I wanted to kill him. No, but he ran kind of fast back then. <laughs> What is your relationship like with Jake now? Obviously, you know, back then you guys were tight. But what's your relationship like now with Jake? Well, um, you know, back then we we weren't really all that tight. We didn't start actually getting tight with each other probably till uh, the late 90s, you know, because, um, I, I mean, we, we, didn't, we weren't around each other. We, we were close, but we weren't really tight, tight like what we're getting to be now. Um, now our relationship is great. You know, um, you know, and, and, and he, you know, he's sober. Well, he's, you know, he's sober. I'm sober. So it's a pretty cool thing. You know, we're really finally getting to know each other. Cause when I was like six years old, uh, they didn't live with us anymore. You know, they lived in Texas. So, um, I mean, we, and we'd only see each other in passing, you know, all the time growing up and stuff. And then Jake was when he started refereeing, he was down in the area some, but uh, then he broke into wrestling, got his arm broke. Then he's in Canada for all these years and just all kinds of stuff. So we really didn't get a, you know, have that, you know, whatever relationship or anything. You know, I mean, we're brothers, and, and, and I acknowledge him as my brother. Oh, doggone it. Um, 
But, you know, I, I, and I'll try to be there if he needs help or anything like that. But um, I've got, you know, I've got to live my life, too. You know what I mean? Absolutely, yep. Yeah, you know, because, you know, um, God's got, you know, God's working in my life a lot. And a lot of times, man, you know, I, I hear I hear him say go, so I don't have a, I don't have a problem packing up and going. I like that, but you know, that's uh, you know very very good, and it's good to hear. You know that obviously you're sober and that Jake's sober, but back when you know you all you and your sister and your brother were all in WWF together, was Jake the one that got you in the WWF, or, or how did that? You know, how did that happen? How did that work? No, uh-huh. um, Crockett came in. He fought, he bought out Bill Watts for UWF. The only two people he fired was me and Nicholas. Oh, I'm not going to fire anybody, and he fired me and Nicholas. So you know, uh, he later got Nicholas to come back to work, but but he fired me and Nicholas. So I I did basically the same thing I did when I when I quit Crockett. I picked up the phone. Jake gave me the phone number. I picked up the phone. Called the office. They knew who I was, and they gave me a starting date. You know, so I gave them. Uh, I, I went. Uh, I gave Eddie and him my. my you know, I, well, I had already gotten my notice from Crockett, so and that's the way it went down. I started working for Vince, and then I started getting. Then they they started with uh, well, when you want to leave the clown show and come back here, you can. Was it kind of cool uh, working with Jake and with your sister Rock and Robin all at the same time in WWE for those? Yeah, it really together. was. Yeah. No, we were always like most of every every once in a blue moon we'd be on the same tour, you know, for a week or so. You know, but yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of I mean, it was kind of hard not to be with somebody too because you had my dad. Uh, they were running three three towns a night, but you had my dad my brother, my sister, and me. So if somebody was doubling up somewhere, and then the TV tapings and stuff, we'd all see each other, too. Uh, and the wrestling history and all these famous wrestling families, it's, it's crazy that a huge family, you know, like yours, as far as uh, wrestling legacy is concerned, was all in the WBF for, you know, a few years all at the same time. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty surreal looking back, don't you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, I you know, we were all very good in what we did, so... I mean, there wasn't any other girls like Robin out there. Uh, uh, Jake, I'm, he's the best thing that ever happened to this business, you know. I don't know if you know it or not, but he is. I mean, he's got the best mind ever. Have you ever watched my brother and noticed there's no wasted movement? He spends his whole match trying to do one thing. How simple is that? And how much of a master is he? You know? Yep. I mean, I gotta say it. My brother's the best. You know, this best thing that I mean, best thing this business has ever seen. So, I mean, uh, other people have done a lot of things as well, and I'm not discrediting anybody. But you know, as far as the mind, the whole nine yards. When you talk strategy and stuff like that, you can't you, you can't come up with a better name than my brother. And I'm not trying to just toot his horn. I'm just stating the facts. <laughs> Hey, absolutely! He's one of the best ever to lace him up. Uh, that's uh, that's definitely for sure. Yeah, so I'm very proud of all his accomplishments. But the thing that I think is going to bring him most peace is is his sobriety. And I'm so because uh, I know what it's like. 
you know, and I'm so, so very happy for that accomplishment. And it was great to see the WWE honoring him and putting him in the, in the Hall of Fame as well, right? Yeah, that was kind of cool, you know. I was kind of ticked off about that because, uh, you know, I got I had to, <laughs> even though I worked for the company and the whole nine hours, it cost me $170 to go see my brother get inducted in the Hall of Fame. You want to see your brother getting dug in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> you know what I mean? uh, anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. That's kind of funny to pay for the ticket, but uh, you know, as far as your time in the WWE, in WWF, I mean, so memorable, and, and everyone kind of um, yeah, has their own memories. But what were your thoughts of your time there? Because obviously, you came in, you were undefeated for a little bit, you had a little bit of a run there, and then you know, then you uh-huh. guys like Bam Bam Bigelow, and you know. Fell into a little bit of a, of a losing streak with uh, Ted DiBiase and David Bigelow and stuff, but you were still you were working those huge, huge names of that era. So, what do you think about your time in the WWF? Well, I mean, I like it. I think I could have been utilized in a better way, but hey, oh, you know, that wasn't in the cards right, you know. So who cares? Um, I did the best job that I could possibly do. It's like what I told you at the beginning of the interview. When I get out there, I give it everything I got, no matter what I'm doing. I'm on, you know, it's kind of like that song, Live Like You Were Dying. Well, that's what I'm doing. I'm reaching out now. Um, and, and this was before I'd gotten hurt when I was with WWF. So I was reaching out then. To, I mean, reaching out to the stars then, man. <clears throat> taking risks, taking chances, whatever. But, you know, and everybody I worked with, everybody I got out in the ring with, I, I always went out there and gave them my best that night. I didn't try to hold back. And it didn't matter what position I was in. I didn't try to hold back. I tried to give them all I had. Definitely. You had uh, a, a quite a good run there. And, you know, you mentioned them running three shows a night. Hey, do y'all know why? Hey, I, I, need, I got a question. I tried to go uh, on YouTube the other day. I had I'd wrestled the big boss man a whole bunch of times. As a matter of fact, I trained him basically out in Kansas City um, when he was big, big Bubba Rogers. You know, good God, him and Warlord both, geez, one night it'd be with Bubba and the next night it'd be Warlord. Oh, <laughs> anyway, good God. Anyway, and, and both of them, oh, just, oh, oh, green as apples. Anyway, um, so, but we'd already wrestled quite a bit in, in, the, uh, in uh, Kansas City and that, that territory in the central states when I was a champion there. And when, when uh, Boss Man came up, oh, uh, we had incredible matches, but they pulled them all off of YouTube. Why? I'm thinking because they're going to try to, like, uh, do some sort of DVD or something. Anyway, I've been hitting the head with a lot of chairs. You know, and it's kind of another argument when it comes to stuff with WWE. You know, the network is kind of changing the way everybody was kind of getting content because you were able to go on YouTube and search something out. Now it's getting pulled, and they might be making a DVD which could be the case, but, you know, they've got so much of your footage, obviously. You know, is that, uh, have you been able to check out the network at all and see? Uh, you know, no, I, I really hadn't. When I first got out of prison, uh, I got hooked up on it uh, for, like, what, three months or something, and I didn't know. I didn't, okay, <clears throat> y'all, this whole computer thing just got way out of hand in five years I was locked up. <laughs> okay. Phones, you know, you got to you gotta think. You know, when I got a cell phone, you know, was one of them little flip phones, right? Now your cell phone is a whole doggone computer, you know? So I got a, a cell phone, and I had that on. I had to work all this stuff. I'm still learning. 
You know, I, I sent my first, well, let's see. I sent a few emails and this, that, and the other, so I can, I know how to do that now. But, yeah, I made a copy on a copy machine the other day, and I thought I won the lotto. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I, I can't see, if I was a plumber, I wouldn't be, you know, going and watching another plumber put a toilet in on my day off. That's true, but you know, you you never know what that plumber is going to find at the bottom of uh, you know each tank. So that could be uh, that could be worth the price of, uh, of of checking it out. But you know, talking about the boss man, a couple of those matches, and you know, helping him train and helping him get involved. You know, what do you think about uh, Ray Trailer looking back? He finally he got he got in the Hall of Fame for the time as the big boss yeah. man, but he's a guy that's kind of been forgotten uh, over time. Unfortunately, you know, passing away about you know ten twelve years ago now. Well, he yeah, is in the yeah. Hall of Fame. Oh, cool! Good for him. Good for him. He deserves it, you know. So, I'm really happy for him. For as well, happy for his family. Matter of fact, I just met a cousin of his the other day in uh, out in Baldwin, Georgia, when I was up there. Um, but uh, he was uh, he was Ray's cousin. No, that's great, you know, and, and obviously, uh, you know, he's he's. Like I said, he's gone but not forgotten. He's in the Hall of Fame. You know, your matches with him, you know, every time, you know, like I said at the beginning, when we saw you get into the ring, you start off those shows, you know, they were always starting off hot. But did you really take uh, Did you take that seriously, that spot, you know, to kind of get the crowd on their feet and, uh, you know, get them riled up for, a, you know, a pretty big, big-time show from that era? Any promoter, any promoter that's got any sense will tell you that. You need the people up. I mean... That's what you. That's what your ultimate goal is. You want everybody to have a good time, so you need to get people out there in that first match that can move and add a good rapport with people. I mean, it's so hard if you're, if a show gets a, you know, a bad first match, it's so hard to to pick it back up. I mean, some people can do it. I you know, I, I used to get stuck in that uh, dead spot after Hogan's match all the time because. The, I, I could go back up, go back out there, and get the people back after they'd seen all the muscle shots and everything, all the posing and stuff. I mean, hell, by the fourth match, okay, so now the people have seen everything they paid to see. You know, they're just hanging around, so you know they want to see like the main, the the which I guess the way you'd have to say it would have been like the real main event for the card was, which had been the Heart Foundation against you know the Bulldogs or something like that. And they'd have that on last, but we then my job would be I have to go out there and get the people back up, so you know, get up there for them. But I always gave it all I got, you know. I get in there all the time, you know. I give it everything I got. Like I said, there was a few years there after I got hurt that I got complacent and I did just enough. I mean, I did enough. I mean, but to me, it was I know the difference. And uh, I'm never going to let the people down again like that. I'm not, never going to let myself down again like that. You know, and I'm not going to let my God go, you know, down like that. I'm going to give it all I, all I got. And, you know, obviously we have very fond memories of your time in WBF and you wrestled, you know, so many good guys. But one thing that definitely sticks out is you were in the first ever Royal Rumble match. And obviously the Royal Rumble is uh, not too far away here uh, coming up uh, in right. January. But, but what were your thoughts on being in the first ever Royal Rumble. Oh, it was great, man. And, and what was really bad was when when I got when when I first got moved to that prison I was telling you about, that's the year they, they inducted Hacksaw Duggan into the Hall of Fame. And I just settled down in my dorm and they were watching Monday Night Raw and I sat down 
and everybody knew who I was. And all of a sudden, they played the thing for the Royal Rumble, announcing Duggan, and I was on TV for about four seconds. That first couple of seconds, I was doing real good. That third second, you saw me flying through the air. And that fourth second was when I landed on the concrete. And I got to tell you all something right now. It hurt me then seeing it just as much as it hurt way back then when I got when I hit the hit the concrete. It just hurt. I was looking. All oh, that hurt. I had to get up. And walked down the aisle to loosen my back up. Oh, I don't know if it's some sort of like reaction or you know psychotic thing or too many chair shots or what. It was something. No, but it was great. I you know I enjoyed it. Um, and you know not, nobody really understood like how big the the Royal Rumble would get because you know everybody was used to a battle royal. You know, and it's kind of like. Ah. You know, but I mean, uh, over the years, it's come off really well. You know, it's one of their major deals. You were in the big uh, WrestleMania Four Battle Royal, obviously, but Royal Rumble is, uh, you know, completely different. Can you kind of uh, believe that, uh, you know, years later, almost thirty years later, that the Rumble is, you know, obviously says one of their bigger deals. But can you even believe thirty years later that it's still like a, a huge, huge deal? Well, yeah, but, they, they, you know, they, they've they made it that. You, you win the Rumble, you get what, uh, you know, you, you, the, the title shot, you know, so they've made it mean something. You know, it, it, like, what's the use of having a belt or something, if you it, it, you know, uh, if it doesn't mean anything? Well, you make, and then you put importance on the things that you want to push, and they, they did that with the Royal Rumble. Look how many, but look how many opportunities there are out of things to the Royal Rumble, you know, because you never have to get more than, you know, more than, uh, you, you doesn't have to get confusing for the fans. You, you never have to have more than six or eight people in there at one time. I mean, you can get a whole bunch in there, you know, and then get the match and clean out, which I guess that happens just about every time. But there's so much that, you know, can be done out of it instead of a battle royal. Like at the CACs last year, I was in the two battle royals, the one was like a Royal Rumble-type battle royal, and the other one was a, just a battle royal. But when you put 30, 30 guys in the ring, there ain't no room to do nothing, and that's what these promoters are doing. They're putting, oh, good, you know. You know, you kind of fill the ring up with too much beef, and the sucker's going to fall down, and then nobody has to get thrown over the top rope. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, in Vegas, they tried to put, there was like trying to put 30 people in a battle royal. Sometimes somebody goes. I got out of the ring and sat down in second row by one of the glow girls for a little while. Glow wrestlers <laughs> sitting there talking to her. She said, "What are you doing?" I just I told her. I said, "There's just too many people in there for me. I'm gonna wait for a few minutes." <laughs> and I did. It. Yeah, you gotta love it. Yes, you know. Oh, I love everything I do, other man. I love everything I do. Of a few, you know, before you mentioned. Uh, uh, the big boss man or warlord kind of big guys being stiff and stuff, but I can't help but think of uh, Haku and Barbarian, other, some other guys you work with, some other, you know, legit tough guys, maybe a little bit stiff. Wow. You, awesome. You, you enjoy working with, like, those guys, that, that, you know, the big kind of tough brawlers of the day? Yes, yes. Any, uh, uh, it, it is an absolute pleasure to step in the ring with either one, Haku or the Barbarian. Oh, I, I, I would love, you know, I just like the opportunity to go out there 
and and, and show some folks. Yeah, I just oh, I would absolutely love that opportunity. Both of them, both of them are amazing athletes, you know. And I got to tell you, you know, you don't never find out how good you are at anything until you until you max yourself out, right? I mean, you you never like like um, unless unless you ever work with somebody the caliber of Kurt Henning, Ming, or or Barbarian, or or Ric Flair, or Tully, unless you have never worked with somebody. I mean, you you don't know what you are truly capable of. Somebody that can pull what you want to pull out of you, out of you. And these guys certainly could. And with the Haku, you know those stories, everyone's kind of turned him into like a, like a Chuck Norris type almost. Are those stories true? Is he like the toughest guy of the day? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there was a there was a whole lot of tough guys, you know, when I was up there. I mean, <laughs> whole lot of them. Yeah, Don Morocco. Yeah, I mean, come on. Um, I, I, there's a there's a lot of them. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. all I can tell you. I ain't gonna try to say who's better than what this, that, or the other, because you know. I ain't getting my eye dotted by no seventy year old man. <laughs> Good point. You know, even yeah. You know, uh, <clears throat> do y'all know who uh Mario Galento was? He yeah, um like Okay. Look him up. He was a wrestler way back in the sixties. Him and his brother, Spider Galento and Mar- Mario Galento. Even though they were like uh, three days older than dirt, and this was back in the 60s, didn't look like much or whatever. They got their hands on you, my man, and I'm going to tell you what, you're going to learn a whole lot of new words, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, don't let an old-timer get his hands on you. <laughs> he knows what to do. Now, an old boxer or something, he still knows what to do, too. But those punches are going to be, yeah, but an old wrestler, when he gets his hit, he knows what to do with everything. Fingers, toes, nose, you know, everything. You know, it's a dangerous spot. So, but no, but those guys are all great. You did have a quite a few-year run in the WBF. Obviously, you know, we mentioned a bunch of great guys that wrestled, and then there's Ruth Rude and Honky Tonk Man. There's a whole lot of, ton, like, ton of great guys that you wrestled, but kind of what led to your departure from the WWF? Was you like the contract or stuff? Did you want to leave? Like, how did you leave the WWF? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I wasn't feeling it, you know. I wanted to be back at, uh, uh, for turn, I mean, for uh, WCW and, uh, you know, and then, uh, and I was there for a little while, but uh, I was there like just the three months and then I got hurt you know, and then, uh, but I, I was also going through a try and real bad time, you know, the birth of my daughter and then my wife and I splitting up and the whole nine hours, it was just, you know, it was a bad, bad time in my life. Uh, alcohol played a big part of it, you know. I mean, I started drinking three-fifths a day and I continued that just about, I would drink between one and three-fifths a day for, for gosh, 19 years almost, 18 years. You know, I was bad, guys. I was a bad alcoholic. Oh, I wasn't a bad drunk. Oh, I was a happy drunk, awful, you know, just, but just, you know, I guess it gets old after a while. You know, you're destroying yourself and your loved ones don't, uh, I guess your loved ones, you know, it's hard for them to handle. But I had, I had big problems and big issues. 
you know. And, you know, I I have nobody to blame but myself. But, it, it, it you know, it's funny how addiction blinds you. The same thing, like, like one of my problems was not being able to see my kids when I wanted to or all the time and stuff. It really hurt on my heart a lot. But I understand Nicola didn't want me to see much, didn't want my children to see their dad in that condition. Right. And I give her all, oh gosh, I mean, what a great woman she is. Uh, she she saved me that embarrassment from my children, you know. But I didn't realize, even though keeping her, keeping my kids, you know, keeping my kids, that was hurting me. So the thing, same thing that was causing it was also the comfort to help me deal with the pain. Do you understand? You know, you take that first drink, boy, you get that warm feeling in your heart again as it's going down and you have a fuzzy feeling. Yeah, <sighs> that was nice. You know, and then you pull yourself another one and two or three or four or whatever, you know, and then you're like, uh, you know, and then, then you get a, ah, 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 or, or, or whatever, you know, you know, it's a, it's a hard, uh, it's a hard life, you know, and, and I fought it the whole way. And I got, but then I went to that stage of uh, that 10 years, nine years I was trying to get sober. I went through three years I had over a year sober. And one of the relapse was, oh, it's God's fault because he made me this way, you know? Hmm. All kinds of stupid stuff goes through your mind, you know? Um, but uh, you, here's the cool part. That's not me anymore. That ain't me no more. Which is great. Yeah, I think so. You're sober. Because I'm having a blast to it. I'm, I'm having a blast to it, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and now, but what's really bad is I don't get to use that, that excuse. I've been getting a little bit forgetful about a couple of things here and there. Um, and, you know, and I can't blame it on the alcohol anymore. <laughs> you, know? mm. Mm. you told me, oh, gosh, that's right, you did. Oh, too many chair shots. Blame it on that then. But yeah, man, I'm getting I'm getting out there. I'm giving it everything I got. Uh, I got a, uh, a they named me the number one contender. Uh, have y'all caught this news yet? From what I've been doing all around the country and everything, I'm the one number one contender for the West Virginia weekend in the country, the Legends World Title. I didn't know that. That is great. Oh, you didn't know that? Oh, check this out, man. They got a whole go to Facebook. West Virginia weekend in the country. Y'all can read off. Uh, if you got a computer, do it now because you can tell uh, all the fans and stuff who all's going to be there. I mean, the the names that I've been hearing have been out of this world as far as country music artists. It's going to be three days. They're giving away a brand new, or they're giving away a new Camaro and all kind of stuff. Nice, and you're you're kind of uh, you know back in you know you said no more continue. You're kind of back into uh, the wrestling business. You know, hundred percent. Oh, well, I mean, as much as I can give, you know, like if a promoter gives me a call and the money's right, I'm there, you know, if he's going to, if he's going to treat me with disrespect and insult me, no, do what I do and I do what I I do what I do best, you know, and I ride across that sky on the edge of a lightning bolt, baby, you know. Listen to BBs and you're going to hear about the tales and explore for Sam Houston, America, Dream Dust the Rose. You know, we was riding across down from Raleigh, North Carolina, in Jimmy Crocker's brand new red Mercedes Benz. We was drinking wild turkey and Coors Light Silver Bullets. 
<laughs> Bill Sammy Houston pulled over that car outside of Burlington, North Carolina, because we had to pee on the side of the road. And I was so mad at Jimmy Crockett for not offering me that big contract that day <laughs> that we peed all over that red Mercedes Benz. Then little Sammy Houston had to drive from Marshfield, North Carolina the next morning because that red Mercedes Benz was one of my perks for signing my contract on Thursday morning. <laughs> we peed all over that car. <laughs> and then he calls me up the next morning, get to the office, man. You got to get here. I was like, what? So he meets me at the side door and he throws me the keys to the Mercedes. He said, go down to Taco Bell because... In North Carolina, they got a Auto Bell car wash chain, but he called it Taco Bell. Go down to Taco Bell and get the work, get washed, washed. And I said, "That's just this is the office's new uh, the, the 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 new office car." He said, "No, baby." He goes, "He goes, it's one of my perks for my contract. That's my car." Ah, <laughs> uh, it was fun though. Did Dusty play a role in you getting back into WCW after the WWF? Was he the one that was kind of pushing for you to get in there? No, I went. I went back to W. Well, let me think. Because uh, I went back. No, after no, he was there when I got hurt, or after I came back from being hurt. When I first went back down to WCW, Dusty wasn't there yet. He was still wearing the polka dots up in uh, oh, New right, York for right. a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he was still doing the polka dot thing, and. Uh, um, Barry was kind of looking after things for him you know, when until you were down Dusty there, got down there. I was just thinking, when you were down there, I know um, you, you wrestled one-man gang quite a few times, and he was obviously a flood victim uh, not too long ago as well. Oh, uh, yeah, I said, you know, when I see him and stuff like that, he, I mean, he, George is a great guy, you know. Um, and then, you know, after he got out of wrestling, he was a prison guard at Angola. Our paths never crossed there or anything like that, you know, because I wasn't in Angola. But, um, you know, I, I wish Gang and Mary and Justin, I wish them all the best. You know, Mary's been Gang's wife. And, well, I've known Gang ever since I was 15. So I've known Mary, his wife since I was about nine. Oh, you know? Wow. Yeah, so, like, I mean, they're, they're lifelong friends and stuff like that. Uh, George is, is, you know, he's got some disability issues and stuff like that. And I, I just I pray for him and I wish him all the best. And I'm glad they're rebuilding the place and, uh Matter of fact, I saw a thing where, where uh, you know, that he had made or a post that he had written that, you know, uh, extending a hand out to all the people whose houses are burned and stuff, you know. Wow, but yeah, good. I have nothing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. Gang, gang went over to Japan with us a lot of times. A few times too. We got him over there. Oh. <laughs> Something else. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I was thinking in WCW you know, at, at the time there, you, you know, we were talking about one-man gang and stuff, and we were talking a little bit about Dusty, but you wrestled a uh, young, up-and-coming Steve Austin at the point. Did you, uh, you know, did you kind of look at him and see him as being somebody that was going to be a huge star one day? Well, I mean, Steve worked great. We we had great matches together, and I loved Steve to death, but, I, you know, I didn't know he was, I didn't, who would have thought that he'd get as big as he did? I mean, he, sure, he had... Uh, oh, man, he was loaded out the wazoo with talent. I mean, um, and I know he was an awesome worker back then. You know, but, yeah, we worked a lot together. 
but I didn't think he would. I, I didn't know this. I, I didn't know how it could be possible for him to go, you know. But evidently, I mean, he had he had what it took when the when the time was right, you know. I mean, and and, and it, what timing for him? But then, you know, you got to look at all all the things that went along with that. Uh, he credits my brother to Austin three sixteen, you know, because at the time my brother was going around, my brother. He was speaking at churches and everything like that, and he carried his Bible in the dressing room, and it wasn't, uh, um, and it wasn't, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, um, you know, it, 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 it was known, I guess, that you know that Jake was trying to help people and counsel with people. Jake's a lot of people don't know this about my brother. My brother is probably one of the most helpful people. If he starts talking to you in the dressing room, listen to him. You know, my brother's only out to help people in this business, not to hurt them. But, uh, but uh, uh, Jake was helping, you know, and, and he carried his Bible. Well, Steve rolled out of the ring, and when he rolled out of the ring, they're there for the interview, and it was like, uh, Austin 316, I just whipped her ass. Well, then it caught on. Next Monday night at Monday Night Raw, there were signs, you know, and that's how stuff catches on, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Austin three sixteen will live uh, in infamy forever, and obviously, he was oh, yeah. to take it the point and kind of Jake set him off on that, uh, you know, on, on that path for Austin three sixteen, which you know will live forever in, in infamy in the, in the history of the wrestling business for sure. And uh, oh, yeah, you know, but my brother, my brother's helped everybody. I mean, he helped uh, Undertaker. He helped everybody that was having trouble. You know, I remember when uh, I was going to say, "What you, what was the uh, the best advice that uh, Jake ever gave you?" Uh, gosh, because really, I didn't get a lot of advice from him. You know, because I had to be the hard head and want to go out and do you know do things. Uh, the best advice he gave me was to slow it down, slow it down, and quit yelling on interviews. You know, you you know the old wrestler. I'm gonna beat you right You know, you know, get away from that kind of crap. If you're gonna do an interview, talk, talk to the people. If you want to be heard, talk low. Make them make them have to strain to listen to you. You know, then they're trying to listen to you. Then it's easy. Then they'll get get the message. But if you go get out there. I ain't listening to that crap. Now, I know every once in a while you get on a roll, like, you know, I can do sometimes, and, you know, guys, your flair's famous for, you know, but some guys can do it. He definitely had those memorable, very, you know, very serious promos, but it made you pay attention to every single word. That Everything he said. Did, yeah, you know, like, you know, it's like listening to Proverbs, you know, like, you know, I mean, and it made sense. <laughs> After he said something, you listen. Hey, he's like, "Yeah, he thinks he's a right. He's right." You know. You know, as I as I start to wind it down a little bit here, I was just thinking of your career, and obviously, you know, you were Mid Atlantic champion, you mentioned Florida Central States champion, you were a TV champion in Global, which is a great league down there. When it was in Texas for the, the small time that it was around, but do you have some favorite matches, or, or maybe uh, a favorite match or so that you had in your career? Because, man, you wrestled everywhere, and it seems like you've almost wrestled everybody. 
Yeah, I have. Man, I got to tell you, you know, everybody brings something different to the table. You know what I mean? Um, I've gone out. Uh, Barry Darso came up to me at the CAC the year before last, and he said, Sam, he said, all of the greatest matches in my career were with you. Wow. And I was like, wow, man. You know, whether if Kurt wrote the, his third best match in his career, I was his third best match. Bret Hart was his first. Nick Bockwinkle was his second uh, best match, and I was his third best match in his career. That's what an honor. You know, and this is, these are, these, these I, I emulate these guys, you know. I work with these guys, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're wonderful guys, you know. Go out there and do the best I can for them or with them. Um, but everybody brings something different to the table. Uh, I, it's like the other night, uh, I wrestled this guy up in Minnesota. Uh, anyway, he'd been wrestling. He'd been in the business 25 years. His father came to the next event and told me, he said, my son cried. And I said, what? He said, my son cried. He, he called me on the phone and he said that was the best match he'd had in his whole career in 25 years. I'm like, wow, okay. Well, I'm glad I could do that for him, you know. Um, but uh, I, I have good match. I try to have good matches with everybody. But some guys, yeah, some guys, it's just so easy. Like Black Bart, it was just so easy. I wanted to hit Black Bart as hard as I could. <laughs> you know, Mike Davis, anytime I got in the ring with him, I was going to hit him right square between the eyes because it was so funny to cross his eyes or when his eyes were crossed and he'd sit down on the bottom turnbuckle. <laughs> Um, but I had great matches with with a lot of guys. But one of the best uh, one of the best workers that I've ever run across was Sputnik Monroe's son, Bubba Monroe, down in uh, South Louisiana. But he he never got the opportunity to like uh, to to showcase his craft. Now he's all crippled up and can't do nothing. But he was one of the best talents his business ever had. I had wonderful, just wow, what matches we had. You know, but I, but like I said, I got to work with everybody, Tully and Arn and Skang, Steiner, everybody, Murdoch. You know, my <laughs> Murdoch was awesome. You know, it was me and Kevin Von Erich against uh, Dickie Murdoch and Randy Rhodes across Texas and everything. And this was at, shortly after Kerry had uh, had uh, uh, killed himself. Uh, I came in and I was uh, Kevin's tag team partner for a few months. You know, when you look at what you've done, you know, in the business, and obviously we looked at what you've done, you know, in your personal life to to really just make a huge difference and become just such a, a positive story. But, you know, if you look at it, let's look at it from the wrestling perspective first, and then we'll look at, you know, you personally. You know, wh- what would you say your legacy is going to be left in wrestling when you're finished? Obviously you're back uh, working again. Uh, your family's, you know, legacy is one thing, but what is Sam Houston's legacy going to be in professional wrestling when the book is closed? Well, the book ain't going to close because my legacy's living on. I don't know if you know it or not, but my daughter is Samantha Starr, and she's making quite a name for herself on the independent uh, circuit. Um, uh, so, therefore, you know, the the legacy will live on. Uh, so that book's not going to close. And, and I tell you what, as long as they can wheel me to the ring, I'm, I'm willing to get in there. 
Yeah, my 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 next uh, uh, my next big thing. You know, I was thinking. You know, boy, people got these really cool Harleys and come out. Alberto Del Rio had the cars, and this one's got this one. They haven't done a hover round yet, and I was thinking <laughs> the hover round with a big orange flag. Yeah, what is? Yeah, they can do something with that. <laughs> well, that's fantastic, and obviously, like we said, we you know we covered the in great detail. You know your your personal struggles, but your triumphant story. And we again, we thank you so much for sharing that with us. And and oh yeah, some hey, let me tell you a little bit of trivia. Okay, do y'all know? Okay, y'all 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 know about the Sportatorium in Dallas, right? Absolutely. The, the, okay, you know, <clears throat> oh, it's horrible. But anyway, the original ring in the Sportatorium in Dallas was built in the dirt. Uh, uh, there was a, uh, like a, a six, eight-foot drop underneath the ring until the dirt. And these the big iron poles, th- those were the corner posts. I'm the last person to ever stand in that sport, the old original Sportatorium ring, because I'm the one that tore it down. I got a picture of me uh, in, the, in that ring for the very last time. You know? Wow. So that was cool. But that's just a little tribute. Now, uh, shortly after I tore the ring in, the CWA came in and filled that hole with concrete and set their ring up on the on the concrete floor. But the original Sportatorium ring, I just thought I'd share that little tidbit of information. I was looking on my computer a while ago, and I saw the picture, and I was like, wow. You know, I did a really lot, a lot of cool things. I got to go to the ring one night. Even though I first met Michael Hayes when I was, when he was 19, I was 13, I think. And then uh, Terry Gordy, I was uh, 13, and Terry was 15, I believe. And then shortly after that, Michael and Terry came to the Louisiana Territory as the Freebirds, and my dad put Buddy Roberts with them. Well, back then, we used to play Frisbee uh, out back of the matches and stuff, and uh, I always looked up to them and stuff like that. But later on in my career, I got to be uh, Terry Gordy's partner one night uh, for the Arkansas. We won the Arkansas Tag Team titles or something. I I, I never saw any belts except for that night. But we won the Arkansas titles that night, and the ring announcer came around and he was asking everybody for their entrance music because everybody was going out to different entrance musics. So I stopped and I asked Terry, I had mine in my hand, I said, Terry, could I go to the ring to Freebird with you? And he told me, sure, you know. And that, to me, that was a high point. Now, I could have, but I didn't break into my Michael Hayes strut. I could have, because I can do the strut too, but I didn't do it. I didn't, <laughs> but I could have. But that was a cool night for me too. That's anyway. awesome. I wish we were a visual show to, just to see the strut. But before we uh, before we wrap it up here, and that was an awesome trivia question to uh, to throw out. But if you can, you know, you, you shared with us some of the matches that you've had coming up. But if the fans want to get in contact with you and kind of reach out and touch it, where can they find Sam Houston on the internet? Okay, um, my Facebook is under Michael Sam Houston, but I'm at my limit on friends. But you, I've also got Sam uh, Sam Houston athlete page. And then there's a uh, Sam Houston Fan Nation. Now, Sam Houston Fan Nation is, is, you know, just is for the fans. They can, you know, put their stuff on it. My own personal account, uh, if you do make my friends list, I got, like I said, 5,000 friends and 1,000 waiting right now. And, and, you know, I guess somebody dropped. I don't know how all that works, y'all. 
but uh, I had to stop people from posting stuff on my my personal page because somebody tried to put porn on there uh, two years ago. So, yeah, Adrian Street come up to me in Vegas, and he told me, he said, man, he goes, you need to go do something. He said, they're trying to put porn on your thing. So I went up there, and then I called my buddy, and I told him, I said, I I don't know how to do none of this stuff, but fix it. So he fixed it to where everything's got to be uh, uh, passed on. They they have to look at it, uh, and you know, because I don't really want to. I don't want no, you know, bad cussing and and you know, kids look at my page and stuff. And I, my daughters might or look at my page. I don't want any embarrassing, stupid stuff like that, you know. But anyway, Michael uh, Michael Sam Houston is my page. If you want to sub- submit a friend request, go ahead, and as time goes by, you'll eventually make it probably. <laughs> but you can also follow me on Sam Houston Fan Nation, and then there's also a YouTube channel that, uh, that that's up, and that's got uh, that's got some of my speaking engagements at the churches that I speak at, the substance abuse centers, and the CACs. Also on that YouTube page is my um, the episode of Victory Road. Uh, I was what last april uh uh uplift tv i was uh broadcast worldwide on victory really Benton's victory road um i did her show 22 years ago in california and then uh and she she had me back uh and and the the, air, the show aired in uh april this last year or this, this was last april but that's on there so there's links to like get to the YouTube channel stuff. So subscribe to the channel so I can go ahead and name the channel. I need to have a what a hundred subscribers or something. But you can subscribe to it off of the Fan Nation page. Awesome, and I'm sure that will uh, will definitely be driving. Some oh, and I'm on Twitter and... too, but I don't know how to do that yet. <laughs> the, I got a Twitter account set up, but I, they they got to te- they're trying to teach me how to do that. So, you know, I'm, texting to me was a stone tablet and a hammer and a chisel, dude. The text messages were hard. I mean, they were heavy, but, you know, when you got it, you got it. <laughs> uh, it's like Pandora's box. So, hopefully, uh, Twitter is just as uh, it's an easy uh, easy learn for you because God is a lot well, of Well, yeah, I got... Yeah, I mean, and I got some great friends out there. Bill Apter, I, I mean, just some good people. I just did a uh, uh, with Chris Yandek a big long interview that uh, was in the Miami Herald newspaper, picked it up, and the whole nine yards. It's just some, you know, I, I've been doing some tremendous things in my life with with God on my side, and you know, and and say, you know, just just actually. Um, <clears throat> It, it, you know, is practicing what you preach. You know, living right, do the right thing when nobody's looking. Then you don't have to look over your shoulder, kind of thing. You know, um, but I've morally, I've drawn a line in the dirt. I've stepped across that line, and I will not be pushed back. You know, um, I'm here to do whatever's got to get done. I had a reputation out in the uh, offshore that whatever had to, you know, if something needed to get done, it got done. You know, and I got it done. Well, 1,000%, you you know, like I said, inspiring story. We thank you so much for joining us tonight and, and sitting down and, and getting all this out there. And uh, we really appreciate all of the sharing that you've done this evening with us. Oh, cool, man. Well, thank you. Hey, thanks for letting me come on and talk to you. I mean, that's really cool. Um, 
You know, I got to tell you, like, Elvis Presley could be playing right next door and nobody would go if nobody knows, right? Well, if nobody knows, you know, what I'm about or who I am, how can they, you know, get interested in what I'm doing, right? Absolutely. Yeah, man. And, you know, so I want to thank you guys for that opportunity. Thank you guys for giving me that chance. And thank you for seeing me and believing in me, too. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.